Hallelujah. It's good to be here today. How's that? Those are some, I like that flow of the prophetic there. Lord, I thank you for that grace in this church. I pray that it would increase. Lord, thank you for the acceptance of the prophetic, the desire for it, the need for it. Lord, I pray that the that the gifts would increase, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel a grace. It's been a good night last night. Been a good day today. I sense I sense the presence of God in a in a beautiful way. Um, I was in a meeting in January at a conference for the Pentecostal Church of God. That's a mouthful, isn't it? And uh, before I spoke, the general superintendent asked me a question and another brother. They said, why do you think America could be on the precipice of a great awakening? And, and I believe that. And when he asked the question, I gave an unusual answer uh, from my perspective and what I see in this nation and I want to preface it with this. Uh, where sin abounds, that much more the grace of God. And when I look at the United States of America, I see a nation that is in desperate need of an awakening. There was a time in America where if we would have had maybe a set of good services, six weeks, a refreshing, a couple of hundred saved, people healed, fresh baptism of the Spirit, Spirit infilling, we just said, thank God, that's what we needed. But I want to tell you, America needs more than churches being refreshed. America needs the drop of Almighty God inside the White House. And I'm not trying to be political inside the Senate, the Congress, in our education, in the mall, in the bar, in the club. We need a sovereign move of God like, like, like probably this nation has never needed. Uh, I was watching the news, but you've got to be prayed up to watch the news. <laughs> you've got to... You've got to watch it, turn it off, and encourage yourself in the Lord. And, you know, Dr. Billy Graham said this, that a preacher should preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. I believe that. We need to know what's happening in culture. And when I was watching it, it was during the time, and, and I, I'm disturbed. I'm disturbed by... The, the violence that's taking place in America right now, the murder. I mean, we're, we're going back to Billy the Kid in the Wild West. It's, it's insane. And, you know, the pro let me give you what I believe. The problem is sin. That's the problem. Man's heart. And I was watching the news and... Um, it was it was the 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 frame the time where uh, the nine year olds got shot down. Nine year olds. I got a nine year old. 
I couldn't imagine someone walking into my daughter's school and blowing her away. It's the epitome of evil, innocent, blood. And three teachers, and there was a, there was a world of school shootings. I mean, yesterday in Columbus, school, uh, a, not a school, but a shooting in Dallas last night. Nine people shot in the mall. And, and the news anchor said, yep, there was a school shooting today. Uh, but then moved immediately, gave it about 10 seconds, said we'll talk about that later, and talked about a politician's itinerary in Africa. And I'm thinking, um, why is it more important where that politician's going to travel to and that you talk about it for 30 minutes, you know, and, and rail them? And we just had a horrific shooting in, you know what that says? They're not even moved by it anymore. Where have we come as a society when nine-year-olds can be executed and, and, and cultures not moved? It's, it's, I remember where I, was when I was, where I was during Columbine. Y'all remember that? You know, three hours east of here in Columbus, Ohio, where... Students gunned other students down. I remember it gripped the nation. Now it's like a little, it don't even hardly make national news. That means we need an awakening. Folks, it's lawless. I mean, we've got a, a society that's becoming lawless. It is beyond comprehension. Someone can walk in a Walgreen, load up a basket, steal, and if an employee tackles that person, the employee goes to jail and the shoplifter leaves with the loot. Friend, we're calling good evil and evil good. It's, it's wrong. It's messed up. The mindset. We need an awakening. How are you going to change that? By sitting down with somebody and giving them three good points and more education? No. It's not going to change that. I... Uh, I've got, a, when I, I've got three children, 12, 9, and 6. And when my daughter was 7, we lived in the Bible Belt. We still do Missouri. <laughs> it's a Bible Belt. But we lived in the Buckle in Dallas. And my daughter got an at-home assignment. <clears throat> and in the at-home assignment, she was to watch a video and then write her emotions down, a paragraph of her emotions, what she felt, express herself. And in the video, it had drag queen dancing. So I called a couple of ministries. I was going to hire a lawyer. I'm going to sue the school. I'm going to die on that hill. Boom. I'm going for it. Not on my watch, not with my kids, not with my seven-year-old to depict and describe what drag queen dancing is and her emotions. You know what that is? Let me, let me give you a word. Pervert. Pervert. Well, that's shocking to say. No, that's what it is. We need to call it what it is. To, to pull away natural and give unnatural from a normative flow, that's just what it is. And I'm not a bigot. I'm not racist. I'm just like, we got to call a spade a spade. And look, look, li listen. You know what we need right now? The church. 
in, in dealing with this? Because there's a lot of broken people. There's a lot of people that are broken. They're messed up. And they don't need to hear the church with some sledgehammer. We've got to have hearts of compassion and love and grace. But my God, we've got to have a backbone of steel when it comes to our children, our most vulnerable. There are states. The school backed off and repented. There, there are states where state leaders are standing up and saying, we'd like to pass a bill to give 10-year-olds hormone blockers, and the parent doesn't even know. What in God's name is this? Let me, let me make it plain. That's the devil. Well, how do we, how do we change that? By a sign picketing? By another marketing campaign, another strategy? No, no. We need God. I mean, like, we need God. I mean, when, when education is trying to tell a, a young girl that's six, do you feel like you're a boy? Would you like us to call you, sweetheart, would, we like, would you like us to call you him? What is this? It's confusion. I believe, I believe that is, look, this is, when I speak, I choose my words with sobriety. And I'm not a provocateur. But that's an abomination to God. It's an abomination to God. To say God messed up this creation and we're going we're gonna to say you're wrong and I'm going to change it because you're a bad creator. Whoa. You know what that is? Let me tell you, I've, I haven't said this before the last couple months. You know what that is? That's reprobate. Those are people that's been given over to a reprobate mind, and that is the judgment of God. They've been given over. How are we going to change that? A good articulation? Another politician? We don't need another politician. We don't need a savior president. We need the Holy Ghost. And, and so we see this happening in America right in front of us. I mean, Roe versus Wade, overturned, thank God. Other states saying, okay, send us your women, we'll pay for it. It's not God. How do we change that? I'm not trying to be discouraging at all. I'm about. I'm fitting to. I'm fitting to encourage you. Because you know what? God moves in situations like this. It reminds me He's moving already. Yes, He is. But we're the America's not in revival or awakening. He's moving. He never stops moving, but we're not under an open heaven right now. When, uh, when you study revival, when God really begins to shift, 
Hundreds of thousands swept into the kingdom of God in a matter of weeks. Millions swept into the kingdom of God. Resurrections of the dead, blind eyes opening, deaf ears opening, angels showing up in manifestations. That, that's, we need a move of God. We've got a trickle. There are trickles. God's moving. I don't disagree. But we need a tsunami from the Holy Ghost. I hear people saying, oh, we're in revival. No, we're not in revival. America is not in revival. It's not. It could be. <laughs> I believe we could be on the precipice. I really sense that. And when, 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 we, look, when we look at history, we see other times where the people of God, their back was totally against the wall. I'm going to give you one. The apostles. Imagine, imagine being John and James or Peter. You're a fisherman. Jesus shows up and says, come follow me. And you drop it all. You drop every ability you have to make money. And you leave it. And you come and you follow Jesus. And he's opening blind eyes. He's healing the deaf. He's raising the dead. That gets you excited, wouldn't it? I'm with the guy fishing. I'm with the guy raising the dead. And then he tells you to go do it, and you go do it. Matthew 10, 7, and 8. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. They went and did it. They come back. Jesus walks on water. This is awesome. Then all of a sudden, Judaism and Rome turn straight against him persecutes him, and kills him. What a shock. He's gone. Imagine the emotions. Even Peter left. Peter cursed him. The emotional, then God raises him from the dead. They get excited again. He's back. Then he ascends to heaven and says, you guys deal with it. Wow. Uh, uh, you want to talk about uh, a roller coaster ride of emotions. Now, this is what they were left with. They were left with the religion of the day, Judaism, believing that Jesus was a flat heretic. They called him crazy, and it had a lot more weight in that time to call somebody crazy. It meant this guy's a nuts, insane. Not just, oh, that guy's crazy. No, no, no. They believed he was off his rocker, nuts. Totally didn't believe him. Believed, believed anybody that preached and connected with that message should be killed. False prophet. The guy's a false prophet. Kill him. There's his group. Now they're saying he's the Messiah. False prophets. Execute them. That's a serious group to sit down with and have a conversation. They handed him to Rome. What Rome do? Put him on a cross. What Rome believed? Caesar was God. They believed in polytheism. They believed many gods, and they believed Caesar was God. They believed to preach another king other than Caesar is treasonous, and it's a threat to our government, and we will kill you. Now, take that mindset and say, okay, it's your job to go change that. What? How many of you how many of you have a family member 
alcoholic, atheist, drug addict, just secular, that if that, that somebody is like you would say, that person, if they got saved, it'd be a miracle. Raise your hand. Yeah. That was their mindset that they had to walk into. That person that you said be a miracle, every one of them that they had to minister to would be a miracle. For anybody to change, it'd be like somebody getting out of a wheelchair. Imagine, imagine we get done with this service and we all go to the Detroit airport. We get on an airliner to go to Tehran, Iran. And our assignment is to change Iran from Islam to Christian. Would that take a miracle? It, what would it be? It would be a miracle or death, right? That's what the apostles were faced with. 120, it was, it, there was no ambiguity here. Listen, everybody say advocate. Three of you said it. Thank you for the three. Everybody say advocate. They didn't have one. They didn't have any. And Jesus said, now go change the world. What, what are you going to have to have to do that? A good marketing campaign? To spin Jesus a little bit, make him more acceptable? A good, a, a real good charismatic person? <laughs> you know what you're going to need? The Holy Ghost. And not just a trickle. You're going to need the Holy Ghost. You're going to need God. Because you can't. So what would they do? Well, where would they go? Luke tells us, Acts 1.14, they devoted themselves to prayer. When our back's up against the wall, what are we supposed to do? Is America's back up against the wall or is it glory days right now? Is evil abounding in this nation? Is sin abounding in this nation? Are there demonic decrees that protect hell and and persecute righteousness. We're in a good spot. I'm telling you, God's going to move in this nation. Holy Ghost. So what they do? Acts 1.14, and they devoted themselves to prayer. Chief activity. Simple as that. That was their chief activity. They gave themselves to it. We like Acts 2. Heaven splits. Holy Ghost comes down. The reason that's not happening in America is because we're not doing point number one. We want the Holy Spirit to come down in five minutes at an altar and we cry out and ask Him and then go watch football all afternoon and don't have any devotions all week and we want to give God 15 minutes and for Him to change America. They devoted themselves to prayer. And then God came. God answers and visits desperation in prayer. Acts 2, the Spirit of God dropped upon them. Supernatural. They all begin to pray in tongues. You know what they didn't do? They didn't say, man, this is awesome. Let's go to the print shop and ask everybody to come back for the second night of the upper room experience. They didn't extend the meetings. They took God in the street. 
they go out and they begin to preach in 17 dialects. You know what happens? You know, you know what? The, the words in Acts 2, in the book of Acts, among the people watching what was happening, they have, they have explicit adjectives. Astonished. Amazed. Perplexed. Bewildered. When was the last time Generation Z or the Millennials said that about the church? We are amazed at the power of God in the church. They're not saying it. Bewildered. Awestruck. This demonic culture that believed Caesar was God and Jesus was a heretic was all of a sudden amazed. Come on, Holy Ghost. If God did it then, He can do it again. You know what happened during the supernatural? Look, if the apostles and Jesus needed the attestation of miracles and the Holy Spirit, we need it too. Are we better than Jesus and the apostles? No. We need the attestation of the manifestation of God. In America, we're like the, the, the Athens. We try to do it with intellectual convincing. We're not scientists. We don't distribute information. We, we preach a message of transformation backed by the Spirit of God. And Peter stands up and preaches in the midst of this after people saw the power and 3,000 get born again. 3,000 minds changed in a moment. To us, to those that are perishing, the gospel is foolishness. But to us that are being saved, it is the power of God. 3,000 of the person you said, oh, that'd be a miracle. 3,000 of those just got saved. Can somebody shout amen? 3,000 of them. If God did it to those Romans and Jews, God would do it to your son. He can do it to your uncle. He can do it to your aunt. He can do it to Governor Whitmire. He can do it to, he can do it to President Obama. He can, do it, he can do it to President Trump. Oh, I've got fewer amens there. Come on, that guy needs an encounter with God, running around with strippers. Come on, man. I'll, I'll bust the Democrats and the Republicans. We need a move of God. It's all messed up. It's all broke. Our hope is not in a president. Our hope is in the Holy Ghost. And Jesus. Three thousand are born again. Fire comes down. So what do they do? That meeting's over. What do they do? What do they do? Acts two forty two, they devote themselves to prayer. They give themselves to prayer. Acts two forty two. They devote. What happens after that? Acts 3.1. Peter's on his way to prayer. He sees someone on the side of the road that needs to be healed. And he gets up out of a wheelchair. This miracle is connected to prayer. It's not connected to his charisma, his personality, or his speaking ability. 
Luke puts it in the middle of a prayer meeting. And what happens when the miracle happens? Everybody's amazed. They're in awe. And then what does Peter do? He preaches. And what happens? 2,000 transformations take place. People that believed one way laid it down. They don't believe Jesus is a heretic anymore. They believe he's the king. Come on, man. This was powerful miracles happening here. All of a sudden, in a matter of weeks, Jerusalem is changing because of unschooled and ordinary men. You know what? It so happened. At, at that moment, persecu- they, they arrested him. They said, you're not going to do this anymore. And you know, you know who, is, who is sitting at the round table? You know who is sitting at the round table? The Sanhedrin. You know who they were, right? They sat there and they said, let's kill Jesus. We're going to kill him. And they turned him over to Rome and Rome executed him. That's who Peter's sitting with. How many of you know if they put him on a cross, they wouldn't mind doing it to Peter too. It wouldn't be a problem. They killed a man that had never sinned, never lied, never lusted, never did anything. When people were sick, he healed them. (laughs) He didn't hurt anybody. And they killed him. And Peter rebukes them. That's pretty bold. Everybody say bold. Thank you for half of you saying bold. Let's do everybody. Bold. That's pretty bold. They let him go. They say, never do it again. Where does Peter go at the end of Acts 4? He leaves there, and where does he, what's, what's he go straight to? A prayer meeting. What's he pray for? Boldness. Now, hold on a minute. This guy just rebuked the, the, the court that had Jesus executed. And he's asking for more boldness? How could you become more bold? You know what that tells me? There's a room for us to be more bold. And then he says something else. God, stretch forth your hand and do miracles. You know what he was praying? Theologians believe he was praying. God, we like the way you started this New Testament church. This has been pretty good. You've been doing miracles and signs and wonders, and we've been preaching the gospel. God, let that be the normal operating procedures of the church. Supernatural miracles followed by proclamation, and everybody gets hit by the power and changed. That was what his operating procedure, what, and, and, and theologians will say that was the day the cement dried. What happened in Acts 5.12? His shadow healed the sick. You know how many got healed at that? There were, there were 5,000 men that got saved. That doesn't mean women and children. That means some, not everybody got saved. That was a meeting of fifteen to 20,000 people, maybe 30,000 people. All of a sudden, this unschooled, ordinary man who they believed was crazy that was Jesus, the city is at his doorstep. And, he's, and his, you know how many people got healed? Everybody. Everybody. Not three eyes, not four backs, not an ankle. People were raised from the dead, out of wheelchairs, tumors falling off, blind eyes opening. You know what happened? The city was in awe of God. If God did it in Jerusalem, God can do it in Detroit. In awe of God. They were in awe. And what happened? 5,000 saved. 5,000. Of the hard cases. That meant about 30,000 people to churches right now. Acts 1, they devoted themselves to prayer. 3,000 saved through a supernatural preaching of the gospel proclamation in dialects Jews didn't know. 
Number two, Peter pulls a guy out of a wheelchair that had never walked. 2,000 saved. Peter's shadow heals the sick. 5,000 are saved. Every one of them is connected to a prayer meeting. Why? Because Luke wanted us to know the Holy Spirit empowers through the process of prayer. Knowing that, why does not the church give themselves to that more? We're addicted to services. We're addicted to preaching. We're addicted to teaching. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Acts 6-4, what's happened? 30,000 saved. They all show up. It's like, whoa. <laughs> so it's like a glorious nightmare. What would happen to this church if the people in this room next week, 30,000 plus, showed up right here? You'd say, you, I'd say amen. I'd fly back. I'm here. <laughs> let's, let's, that's glory. Come on. But you know what? There's not enough people in this room that could facilitate it. What are you going to do with all the kids, all the babies, the bathrooms, the parking, you know, all of the things that, that you would need to facilitate that? So that's weighing on these apostles. They're like, we've got a church of 30,000 in two months. How are we going to do we need a building? Where are they going to go to the bathroom? How are they going to eat? They've been traveling 20 miles we're just going to send them back. Uh, they got kids. They got babies. The babies are screaming. The kids are running around. What are we going to do? You know what they started doing? Administration. And then the apostles start taking care of the widows. And you know what? I, I, I submit this to you. I, I believe Peter felt a tweak in the anointing. I think, he, I think he felt it just do this for a minute. Because he's now administrating instead of praying. He's now working for the Lord instead of letting God work through him. I got nothing to impart to you. The Holy Ghost through me. So you know what he does? He gets up and says, we're not doing this anymore. This was offensive. He said, take care of your own widows. You know, we're going we're gonna to put, uh, put seven in charge of it. We're not doing it anymore. We're going to devote ourselves to the word and prayer. You know what happened when he made that declaration? Stephen and Philip got out, left that meeting, and started moving in signs, wonders, and miracles. The, the laity had never done that before. When the apostolic pattern was set, people began to move in power. They killed Stephen. What does Stephen do as he's dying? He prayed. What did he pray? Save Saul. What did God do? Saved him. See, every salvation up until this point in Acts is all connected to a prayer meeting. Is prayer important? It seems in Acts it was the number one activity they did, and they didn't stop, and Luke records it again and again and again and again. Saul gets miraculously saved. Jesus shows up. He goes blind. He takes him to a room, and what happens? A guy named Ananias in Acts 9 is praying. <laughs> Jesus says, here's where he is. Go lay hands on him. He'll get filled with the Holy He gives him a street address. How many, of you, how many of you ever got a prophetic word of a street address? And God said, go to 222 Williamsburg Lane, Roseville. There's going to be a White House and a guy named John on the inside. He just got diagnosed with cancer last week. Lay hands on him. I'm going to heal it. That's what they were operating in. And God ties it to a prayer meeting. He goes to Paul, lays hands on him. He gets, his blind eyes pop open. He's filled with the Spirit and the greatest church planner in the New Testament. Straight out of a devotion of somebody that wasn't even in the ministry. 
You tell me your prayer life's not important? Acts 10, where's Peter? He's on a roof. What's he doing? Okay, we got a motif here. Come on, this is not a trick question. Right? He's playing cards. No. He's praying. What's Cornelius doing? In Acts 10, he's praying. God gives Cornelius a prophetic word. Here's where Peter is. There's a guy named Peter. Here's his house, and here's his address. Cornelius isn't even saved, and an angel visits him. Peter's on the roof and said, hey, there's people come and go with them. How many of you are filled with the Holy Spirit? Raise your hand. If you're not a Jew, the Gentile outpouring of the Holy Spirit Pentecost came through that prayer meeting. Peter goes, the Holy Spirit comes, and they're all filled with the Spirit. Prayer meeting. Where does Peter, what's the next thing Peter does? Raises the dead out of a prayer meeting. I wrote a paper trying to find the sovereignty of God in miracles. And I, I went into it trying to find where did God heal the sick and people didn't pray. And I couldn't find it in Acts right there. I did find some miracles. I found where Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. Nobody prayed for them. Nobody said God kill them. God sovereignly did it. Who else dropped dead? Herod. Nobody said God killed Herod. It was a sovereign judgment miracle, not connected to prayer. But every supernatural miracle is connected to prayer. There's a popping going on. Do I need a new mic? How about that? There we go. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Ma'am, is the burden of the Lord on you, ma'am? Is that the burden of the Lord? This is the lady next to her. Talk to me. Is that the burden of the Lord? What's going on? Come here. Come here. I celebrate that. Come here. Come here. Come here. You have a burden for America? You have the burden of the Lord. Is this the burden of the Lord? Yes or no? All right. There you go. Just pray. Just cry. It's what we need. Leonard Ravenhill said the problem with the church is there's too many brother dry eyes and sister no tears. I, I mean, look, look, look this way. Don't look at her. Look at me. I've preached to you the condition of the United States of America and something to rectify this situation. And it's not charisma. It's not more education. It's not another marketer. It's not someone with a degree. It is the church coming back to the place of prayer and brokenness to cry out to God for revival. We need an awakening. It's awakening or bust. It's revival or we die. We need a sovereign, heaven-sent, heaven-rent move of God. Move of God. Just come here. Just stand right here. Not just her. Just lift your hands. I pray for an elevated spirit of prayer to come on you in this entire church. Just lift your hands. Friend, if you watch the news and you don't get a burden, you need a spirit of prayer. 
She's okay. You need a spirit of prayer. Here's, here's, what, here's, what, here's what I feel like God is saying. God wants everyone to intensify their prayer life. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I know some of you hadn't prayed this week. I know it. Some of you haven't even read the Bible this week. You haven't prayed. Some of you, it's been a month. Some of you, you just said, Lord, just you're praying a blessing over the meal that consists of your prayer life. Some of you have been praying the same way for 20 years. 15 minutes a day, skip it sometimes. We need true intercession. And, you know, William Seymour is praying seven hours a day when the Azusa Street Revival broke. But I don't think God's calling anybody tonight, today, maybe, to pray seven hours a day. He just wants you to pray every day. If it's 30 minutes. And I feel like God is saying that he wants you to ask him how to apply the message I've preached to your own life. Not how Pastor Tim is going to do it or how I'm going to do it. I'm a five-fold minister. And you work nine to five jobs. But you could give more. You could give. If, you're, if your prayer life hasn't intensified in the last year, you're stuck in the same place that you've been. And when Jesus' disciples came to him and they said, Jesus, we couldn't cast a demon out of this person. What did Jesus say? Because the kind of prayer you've been praying is not moving that demon. And I believe the kind of prayer that the church in America has been praying is not moving the demons that we're facing. We're trying to move the church forward from what we used to pray in 1983, and it's not moving. And we've got to shift if we're going to shift anything. I got a 12-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 6-year-old, and I don't want to hand them the America that I live in today. We need an awakening. And it's not going to come through church attendance and paying tithe and just being faithful. You've got to get a burden from God for this nation to cry out to God for Him to bust the heavens open and send an awakening to this nation. And you know what? I believe I'm in the room with a remnant of people. There's a remnant of people in this room right now that hadn't bowed their knees, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's, but God is calling you to look in the mirror and examine yourself and say, God, where can I change and where can I grow? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do two things. Some of you, I sense God wants to save some of you right now. We're going to do this quick. But I'm talking about all this, and, you, and there's some people in here just living, you're living in sin, prayer life. <clears throat> you're living in sin. You're not living for God. Maybe you prayed a prayer sometime back in your life or walked to an altar or wept, but your life doesn't line up with the Word of God. Watching filth on television and fornication. Are your eyes saved? Are your ears saved? What did God save you from? Did he save you from lust? Did he save you from greed? Did he save you from fornication? Did he save you from alcoholism? When you get saved, God saves you from that. You don't continue to walk in that. That's deceived. I'm not asking you, have you prayed a prayer? I'm asking you, are you living for God today? Are you, you know, some people say, oh, man, that is Alabama redneck preaching. 
is your radio station saved? You know, I mean, you know, shake it, hip it, hop it, pop it, drop it, Beyonce, you, you know, the Eagles, Hotel California, smoke a dube, get high, get drunk, Garth Brooks, all my friend lives in low places, I cheated on my wife six times and all my exes live in Texas. None of that is edifying. And Jesus died for all of those lyrics. And if you're entertained by it, my God, no wonder your prayer life is shot. You need to get saved. And I say that in love, guys. I say it in love. If you're, if you're here today and you haven't made Jesus Lord, uh, everybody wants to embrace what Jesus did on the cross and how he rose from the dead, but is he your Lord? Is he Lord over who you date? Is he Lord over your money? Is he Lord over what comes out of your mouth? Is he Lord over how you talk to your wife? Is he Lord over your language when you get mad at job? Is he Lord? Is he your Lord? That's the first part of the gospel. It's point number one in every apostolic message. They preach Jesus Christ is Lord. Saving is what he did. Lord is who he is. We preach a Savior. That's part of the action of Christ, but he's a king. That's who he is. We say Jesus is our friend. No, he's a judge. He is a judge that's going to judge you. Are you ready for that day? This, this world is a dressing room for eternity. How are you dressed right now? He died on the cross because we all deserve hell. He was our substitute. God raised him from the dead, and we must repent. That's part of the gospel, turning from our sin Making Jesus Lord, confessing. Amen. So here's what I want to do. If you're not sure if you die, every head, by head bowed and every eye closed. If you're not sure if you die today, you go to heaven. If you've got sin in your life, if you're away from God. If you've had an intellectual confession, but you haven't had a transformative encounter. Salvation is transformative. You can't get saved and not be transformed. I mean, it's just impossible. You're a new creation. How do you become a new creation and don't feel anything or sense anything? It's not about crying or falling on the floor, shaking under the power. But if you got saved, everything changed. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but I'm telling you, your dad realizes it. People realize it. People know. If, you, if, you, if you're not sure if you die today... Everybody bow their heads, close their eyes. If you're not sure if you die today, you'd go to heaven. If you've got sin in your life, if you're away from God... When I count to three, I want you to lift your hand immediately, without hesitation. If you need to get right with God, one, two, three. Yeah, hands everywhere. Just stand. If you raise your hand, just stand right now. Just stand. Stand. Come on, if you need to get right with God, stand. Come on. Come on. All over this room. Yeah, in the balcony. All over this room, if you need to get right with God. You might fool your friend, your brother, your pastor, but there's three witnesses, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. If you need to get right with God, come right now. Come. Just come to the altar quickly. Just come up. Come on. Anybody else you need to come? Come on. Come on. You need to get right with God. Come on. Come on. Come on. God bless you. God bless you. Come on. You just need to get right with God.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Anyone else, if you need to get right with Jesus, stand up and come right now. Right now. Come on. Quickly. Hurry. Come. The world is an enemy of God. And if you relate more to the world and its systems than you do the Bible, the church, and the Holy Spirit, you need to get saved. That's a hard word, Joe. Worldliness and godliness are enemies. They're enemies. Ravenhill would say decades ago, the world has impacted the church more than the church has impacted the world. And we're seeing it. Holy Spirit, let's, 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 let's pray right now. All over this room. Jesus, come on, let's pray out loud. Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Jesus, I confess today that you're Lord, that you're King, and I give my life to you. I submit my life to you. I repent of sin. I repent of worldliness. I repent of ungodliness. And I ask you to wash me in the blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in the grace of God, in the mercy of God, not your husband, not your partner next to you, not your friend, but I feel like God wants to, you to look in the mirror and just say, God, my sheep know my voice and another they won't follow. Don't follow my voice. Follow the voice of God. But if you hear his voice speaking to you right now, you need to intensify your prayer life. You've been inconsistent. You haven't been praying. You haven't been weeping for souls. You haven't been burdened. Or maybe you've been praying the same process for three years, and it's time. Close your eyes right now and ask the Lord, do I need to intensify my prayer What he's talking about, this kind's not going to move by that kind. Am I part of the that kind that needs to move and shift to make a difference? God not, might not tell you exactly what it is. Maybe some God says, yeah, you need to pray an hour. You've been praying 30 minutes. You need to pray an hour a day. Maybe you've been praying a day a week. And God says, look, you need to pray five days a week. Make it consistent. I don't know. Whatever he's saying, maybe he's leading you and you know he's asking you to change, but you don't know exactly what yet, but you know it's coming and you've got, you got to process it and really hear the Lord. If you fit any of those categories and you know God's examining you and telling you it is time to go up another level in your prayer, stand. Stand. I'm, I, I'm standing. I'm, I answer my own altar call.
I'll go home listening to this message. I'll go answer it. I want you to come. If you stood, I want you to come to the altar. A remnant. A remnant. How many people live in Michigan? Ten million people. Ten million. That's a lot of folks. God could take this right here. Right here. And shift Michigan. He could do it. If you if you have if you have faith for that, just just gently lift your hands. You don't have to lift them high. I'm gonna pray for a spirit of prayer to come on you. As I pray for it to come on you, I pray it come on me. I want more of a grace to pray. I want to pray like the the men and women in the Hebrides revival. They prayed. They prayed, and the God hit the whole community. And when they got done praying at a certain point, the community just showed up supernaturally in front of the church. That's a prayer life. Holy Ghost, come on you, spirit of prayer.